Welcome to another episode of Inside Flicks. I'm Mike, and I'm here with my two brothers, Richard and Raymond. And for those who don't know this podcast, perhaps this is the first time you're listening to Inside Flicks. Well, this is a movie podcast where three movie-obsessed brothers get together to talk movies. In this episode, we're going to revisit two cult horror movies from the 80s, Fright Night and Maximum Overdrive. So in the spirit of the upcoming October holiday, Halloween, we have decided that the next couple episodes are going to be dedicated to only horror movies. So you can expect us to discuss and review some new horror movies that we have not yet seen or perhaps some uh, classic horror movies we had not seen in a while. So we're going to mix it up. We're going to have some fun. So um, before we start, though, <laughs> I want to mention uh, something really quick. And it's, uh, it's, you know, it's September right now. We're, li- we're in the month of September. Almost over. It's almost over. And you know what September means in 2020? Uh, Latino Heritage Month? <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's true. It's also this month marks the 30-year anniversary of Goodfellas. Oh, and of course, Mar- that's Martin Scorsese's m- mafia epic, considered by many as a masterpiece. Uh, you could count me as that as someone who considered this a masterpiece. But Goodfellas was released 30 years ago. And to celebrate that anniversary, a book just came out called Made Men, The Story of Goodfellas. It was written by New York Times film critic Glenn Kenny, And it supposedly has a lot of great behind the scenes stories and you know a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of stuff like that. Well, I read an excerpt from, from the book. And because um, it was published in one of these blogs, I, I can't remember which one, but it's a, it was a sneak peek snippet that uh, that uh, that came from uh, one of the first chapters, mm-hmm. and in it it had this really great piece of trivia that I never heard before, but I guess people have, have people have known this, but I, I'm I'm shocked that I never really heard this story before, because as you guys know, Goodfellas is probably my favorite movie of all time. Yeah, I didn't know this. Really? No. Goodfellas is my favorite movie of all time. Oh, okay. So, uh, um, but I'll, I'll tell you the story because I thought it was it's a great insider kind of story. It's like a great behind the scenes story. Well, first I tell I'll, really quick I tell you how Martin Scorsese got into the, to, got into Goodfellas. For those who don't know, Goodfellas is this incredible true story of Henry Hill. He was a low level half Irish, half Italian New York gangster who worked under the Lucchese crime family from the fifties to the eighties. Uh, he was uh, in, he got into drug dealing in the late seventies, and he finally got caught and arrested, and with nowhere else to go, he became a key informant for the FBI, and he turned on his old bosses. He gave them up. He gave up his mob bosses, right? And as a result, he was put into the witness protection program. So Goodfellas is basically about the rise and fall of this loyal street mobster, Henry Hill, who ended up becoming a snitch for the for the feds. And the movie is based on this kind of acclaimed biographical book, Wise Guys, by Nick Nicholas Pileggi, who also co-wrote the movie with Scorsese. So apparently Scorsese got his hands on the manuscript of Wise Guys, and he read the book before it was published. And uh, immediately, Scorsese flipped out. He loved it. So he tried to get a hold of Pileggi. He called him up a couple of times, but, you know, he, he didn't get no answer. And that's because Pileggi was such a huge fan, fan of Scorsese and, his, and he's such a, a fan of his films that he thought those phone calls were a joke. He thought it was his friends doing a prank. Oh, okay. Classic. And so, yeah. So word got back to Pileggi saying that, no, that's the real Scorsese mm-hmm. and he wants to talk to you and you better call him back. So Pileggi got him Scorsese on the phone and right away Pileggi 
or right away Scorsese said, "Hey man, I love this book." And yeah. he he goes, "You don't." He goes, "You don't understand uh, this story. I've been waiting, I've been looking for for a long time." And Pelagi kind of replies and says, "Well, I, you don't understand. This phone call is something <laughs> I've been waiting for my whole life." <laughs> and well, at at the, at that time, Scorsese was prepping to do the Last Temptation of Christ as his next film. Uh-huh. So he didn't really have the authority to make the deal with Pelagi. He didn't have he didn't have a studio backing him up. So uh, on the phone call, Pelagi goes, "Don't worry about it. Uh, <laughs> the call, right, this call right now, is the deal. We're making the deal right now." So he swears to Pelagi. Uh, swears to Scorsese that he will make the movie together no matter what. And so the book came out and it became a huge hit, and Hollywood came calling, and every big uh, director in Hollywood wanted to turn the movie into a movie, uh, turn the book into the mo- into a movie. And at one point, Brian De Palma wanted to do it, and he had the backing of a studio. But Pelleggi kept his word, and he waited for Scorsese to finish Temptation, and, you know, the rest is history. But <clears throat> the one thing that I read was this great bit of trivia that I never knew. So, while Nicholas Pelleggi was writing the book Wise Guys, his wife helped him with the research. Oh, just Pel- like George Lucas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pelleggi's wife had multiple conversations with the real Henry Hill. So she would interview him for the book. And uh, uh, now the real Henry Hill is nothing like the Ray Liotta character in the movie. Oh. The, you know, the real Henry is much more of a prick. Uh-huh. At least that's, you know, that's my opinion. Because people might not know this, in the 90s, the real Henry Hill would call the Howard Stern radio show almost Yeah, that every makes week. more sense. <laughs> yeah, well, he would call it almost every week. And he, he was, you know, I'm was a, I'm, I was a huge Stern fan in the 90s. So I would hear, hear uh, uh, Henry all the time. And right. he would call in drunk. <laughs> he would uh, treat the interns like crap. He would treat Baba Booey like crap, and uh, mainly because he was a loudmouth prick, and he was, you know, he was clearly an alcoholic. And you know, to my surprise, the real Henry Hill was like the sad goofball, not like the the menacing character that Ray Liotta plays. You know, he, I, to me, to, to, you know, I would compare him to like Joe Pesci in Lethal Weapon Two, as Leo gets. Okay. He's kind of like an annoying a hole. So, I can only imagine the hell that Pelleggi's wife had to suffer through as she talks to Henry on the fil- on the phone, because apparently Henry would call at odd hours of the day. Hmm. He would sometimes call late at night, asking to talk uh, to uh, asking to talk to Nicholas, and Pelleggi's wife would say, uh, "He's busy or he's sleeping, but you can talk to me." Hmm. Now, Pelleggi's wife is a writer. She's a screenwriter. And so she, when she's having these conversations with Henry, she's thinking to herself, there might be a story here, maybe a comedy. <laughs> so she starts asking Henry about his time in the witness protection program. And he goes, oh, it was horrible. I was stuck in this godforsaken town in the middle of nowhere. And I hated it. Ah, Steve so, Martin. R- so right there, that's when she thought, oh, I got this. P- Nicholas Pelleggi's wife is Nora Ephron. Oh, damn. The Oscar-nominated screenwriter of uh, When Harry Harry Met Sally. And at this point in her life, she's only a screenwriter. Of course, she would later end up writing and directing the classic film Sleepless in Seattle. Mm -hmm. So based on her conversations with Henry Hill, she wrote a screenplay for My Blue Heaven, Mm -hmm. a comedy in which Steve Martin starred as a pesky mobster stuck in the witness protection program in the suburbs. This year also marks the 30-year anniversary of My Blue Heaven. <laughs> it came out a couple months before Godfella, uh, Goodfellas. Same studio. Oh. But it's really the unofficial sequel to Goodfellas. Oh, okay. I that was a really cool... I never heard that story. 
And I thought that was a great kind of connection between the two movies. That Steve Martin is kind of he's not look he's not he's not credited as playing Henry Hill. He's a totally different a fictional character, but he, uh, Steve Martin and Ray Liotta is almost playing the same character or the same Henry Hill character. Okay, yeah. So I, I thought that was interesting, and it's also I guess one of the stories in this book. And uh, yeah, so. 30 years anniversary of Goodfellas. One of my favorite, or is my favorite movie of all time. And my uh, you, made, <laughs> you made me want to watch uh, My Blue Heaven now. Yeah, I want to I have you know, I haven't seen that movie for a long time. I want to check it it's out. On, it's on HBO Max. Mm. All right. Well, we'll we'll check it out. All right, so let's uh, let's get to this episode. Let's 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 start it up with uh Friday Night. Oh, I thought it was Maximum. Okay. Let's start with Friday Night. Or rather, welcome to Friday Night. <laughs> oh, geez. for real. <laughs> Among their people next door. Oh, I guess the new owner's moving in. It's supposed to be very attractive. There are two guys out in the yard, and I think they're carrying a cough. There was a murder last night. Charlie thinks he saw the victim in his house. I saw him carry her body out in a plastic bag. The guy did have fangs, and a bat did fly over my head, and a second later, he stepped out of the shadows. Now, don't you see what that means? Wait, let me guess. Well, I have a vampire living next door to me, and he's going to kill me if I don't protect myself. The vampire cannot enter your house without being invited first. This is our next door neighbor, Jerry Dandridge. Hello, Charlie. Fright Night! Okay, so Fright Night. This was originally released on August 2nd, 1985. It was written and directed by Tom Holland, not the actor. <laughs> Not the <laughs> Spider Man star. He didn't. He didn't time travel. <laughs> he didn't time travel in this one. Uh, this is his directorial debut. Up until this point, he was only known as a screenwriter. He wrote Psycho Two, and he also co-wrote the, so the cult. He also wrote the cult uh, punk high school thriller class of 1984. Oh, okay. Uh, and Tom Holland made his like screenwriting debut with this adaptation of the the demon thriller, The Beast Within. After the Fright Night, he also directed Fatal, Fatal Beauty, uh, but he's probably best known for Child's Play. Oh, wow, yeah. that's a big hit for him. Yeah, and in, he, in the nineties, he, he directed the Stephen King adaptation of Thinner, which was a cult hit. Yeah, and um, but yeah, uh, Fright Night. Okay, let's uh, let's get into Fright Night. Fright Night is about a horror movie obsessed teenager named Charlie. Brewster, he believes his next door neighbor is a vampire, so he turns his to his girlfriend and a, and a friend from school for help. They in turn hire a washed up B movie actor from a local television horror show to help them convince Charlie that he is mistaken and confused. Little did they know that Charlie is hundred percent right. There is a vampire living next door. Uh, Rich, let's, let's start with you. I'm sure I'm sure you you saw this movie. A lot of times when uh, when it first came out, uh, talk talk about that. Uh, yeah, I rented it a couple times. Yeah, especially during the holidays. I mean, well, the Halloween holidays. I mean, because uh, this it's a classic. Yeah, I certainly remember watching it multiple times during the during the eighties. Although I was not a big horror fan, I was so for, for whatever reason. I don't, I don't really consider this a kind of like that like slasher film. You know, no, because it's it. It, it was really appealing to uh, just teenagers and young youngsters and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah, it's the monster stuff. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, it's not it's not as childish as uh, Monster Squad, uh, but you know, it's just as entertaining. I mean, um, even more so. Uh, and uh, I, I really dig uh, uh, Chris Sarandon. Uh, he was a great Dracula, Jerry Dandridge, and also um, 
uh, Roddy McDowell. I mean, big fan of Roddy McDowell yeah. since Planet of the Apes films and all that. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, those two together, this is this is a, a great film. Uh, Raymond, what's your thoughts? Was this your first time watching Friday Night? Yeah, I, I saw the, the remake first. Oh yeah, the, the uh, Colin Farrell. Yeah, yeah, and um, I always wanted to see this one, but I I, I never got around to it. Um, finally watched it. Um, Amazon Prime today, yeah. today, mm-hmm. and um, yeah, I thought it was great. It's uh, it's it's exactly like the the remake. It's just an eighties movie. It's an eighties version. Um, it's 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 strong. Um, me and Rich were talking about this be- before the, uh, before we started recording, but like uh, I think I, I like it more than uh, the, the Lost Boys. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah, because uh, uh, Lost Boys is just almost just as entertaining. Uh, uh, but the the cheesy the cheesiness in the Lost Boys, I think uh, it's a little too nineties. Well, for this me. movie, the Friday Night, definitely feels like a, a nostalgia piece of something that, or at least a throwback to some of that. 50, 60 monster movies, you know, yeah, universal and, uh, monster movies. Because of Roddy McDowell's character? Yeah. Uh, and, or, or uh, I mean, it's definitely a, mod- a modern take on the Dracula myth. Um, you know, basically it's Dracula versus Van Helsing, but Van mm-hmm. Helsing is a washed up B-movie actor, you know, <laughs> and you know, uh, Dracula is like the sexy next door neighbor, <laughs> mysterious guy, you know. Uh, but I, I do, you do get a feeling that Tom Holland, the the writer director, is definitely a fan of monster movies or horror movies of that time, the fifties and sixties and seventies. And um, yeah, I was very impressed by the movie too. I, I liked it as well. I mean, I I remember liking it a lot when I was a kid and and watching it many many of times. But it, what I really loved about when rewatching it recently, I didn't really appreciate. Sarandon's performance. Oh, because I think he was terrific in the movie. I oh. think he's men- mesmerizing as vampire. This vampire Jerry Danbridge, who's you know again really is a stand-in for a modern-day D- Dracula. You know, the whole movie is basically a modern-day retelling of Dracula. I mean, uh, there's a Renfield type of character. There's Mia, who's uh, Amanda Beers <laughs> yeah, <laughs> from from Married with Children. Uh-huh. Chicken legs uh, or chicken. <laughs> And uh, uh, yeah, but Chris Sarandon's performance, I, I didn't like. I, I liked it before when I was a child. I, I when I was a kid, uh, I, I remember liking his performance. But no, the, the, when watching it this time, I really got the that that you know he was trying to do that sex appeal type of thing. He had that uh, mag, uh, mag magnetism, that, yeah, magnetism, yeah. He had that dangerous seduction, and I think that was uh, different. That was that, that was that made it modern. That made Dracula modern. I liked how he he teased uh, um, uh, Charlie. Charlie, Yeah, he he, he basically teased him to like, you know, like a come at me, bro, type of thing. You know, (laughs) (laughs) you think you can take me me down? Yeah, (laughs) yeah. He was definitely, uh, you know, he was uh, the cock of the walk. You know, he was he had a he had attitude. You know, and he's just as perfect villain in in Princess Bride. I mean, he's just Uh, humperdinck. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. You know, like it's weird because I never. I never saw him. him I, I never. I guess. I, I guess. I, I just. I never res- respected him. I guess. I don't know. No. I. Because like I. He is a great actor. He's a terrific actor. Um, and he's also in Child's Play too. I mean. Oh, that's right. Yeah. 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 
No, but uh, like I always thought, look, like like maybe this is cruel to say, but I always thought like he was a kind of like a, a weird looking guy. <laughs> like I go when so when I saw that he's in Friday Night, I go that makes sense. He's a he's a monster, right? Okay, but no, in this one, I go, oh no, he's like he's like Michael Douglas and you know, uh, basic instinct, you know, especially in that club scene. <laughs> like, uh, but uh, I mean, he's a true actor, though. But I mean. The, the 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 way he acted in um in Dog Day Afternoon, I mean, right? Got an Oscar nomination for Dog Day Afternoon. Did he, he was, really? Oh yeah. wow, yeah, he, well deserved. That 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 piece was great. Yeah, he was uh he was uh, he plays a transgender person who who is trans. He's a man transi- transitioning into a woman, and that's the whole reason why Al Pacino's robbing the bank, right? Because he needs to pay off his his lover mm-hmm. uh, tra- uh sex operation. Mm-hmm. And he's great in that movie. Or, or at least I, from what I remember, he was, you know, I don't think it's insensitive. <laughs> I, mm-hmm. I mean, I haven't seen him for a while. I don't think it's insensitive. I think it was pretty, uh, a strong performance. And he was also, yeah, like you were saying earlier, he was great in Prince's Bride as uh, yeah. the evil uh, king or prince, or I don't remember. And he's just as good as Susan Sarandon. Yeah, see, that's the thing. He, I always thought that he, Chris Sarandon was brother of Susan Sarandon. Oh, but, oh yeah, they were married, right? No, they were married for for almost a decade. Oh, okay. And during the seventies, they were married, and Susan Sarandon started her career with that last name, and that's why when they got divorced, she kept that name, right? So, ah, oh, okay, uh, like Tina Turner. Yeah, so I always thought that was a <laughs> yeah, just like Tina Turner. So I always thought that was a weird pairing, but you know, in, in this movie, I get it. You know, like yeah, he's he's a you know he's a he's he's a cool dude, and, and he pulls it off, you know. You know, like I said, like uh, maybe people don't really realize this that Dracula, the character Dracula at that time, was going in a transition. It was kind because, of, like back then, Dracula was Bela Lugosi, right? Well, then uh, 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 Christopher uh, Christopher Lee, right, in the Hammer films. You know, so Dracula was almost a, a joke in, for a little bit. For, well, for, it was Hammer time. <laughs> I mean, it was well, like, Hammer may try to make it more scary, but at right. the, Bela Lugosi was kind of like. The idea of Dracula was this old man in a castle. Mm-hmm. He wasn't really scary anymore. Hammer Hammer films were trying to make him more scary. But then, remember Frank Legetta and his oh, remake? Yeah. yeah. He brought in the sexiness. Yeah, but not as, much, not as sexy as uh, uh, as uh, George uh, George Hamilton. George <laughs> Hamilton. And, uh, uh, but then, that, then again, that was like kind of uh, he's playing off the Frank Legetta thing. <laughs> and and, and I'm, I bring up Frank Legetta because uh, with with his take on Dracula, he kind of brought in the sex appeal thing, and I think that's what Chris Sarandon is doing in this movie. He's bringing he's doing what Frank Legetta started off, which now turns into you know later on it would become like Twilight or whatever like you know uh-huh. it, it becomes a more common thing where they play up the sexiness of vampires but it's all kind of started with frank legetta and then and then chris sarandon doing this stuff nah, i love the first bite it was awesome <laughs> um let's talk about ronnie mcdowell because i the reason why i love this movie is really because of ronnie mcdowell's performance just because ronnie mcdowell yeah he's uh, the real hero i mean a co- iconic actor yeah i mean apes alone i mean <laughs> Yeah, so, someone I always held dearly because of his portrayal of Cornelius mm-hmm. and and Caesar and in the original Plan of the Ace franchise. And there's there's certain scenes in this movie where he's reacting to you know some you know some creature effects and he's his eyes are bugging out. 
Mm-hmm. I go, oh my god, that's Cornelius right there. <laughs> that's that's <laughs> Cornelius right there, man. Uh, Raymond, what's your what's your thoughts on on uh, Roddy McDowell's performance in here as Peter Vincent, yeah. the Vampire Hunter? He, I think he's the best part of the movie. Yeah. Yeah, but let's Richard. Let's talk. Let's talk about the character of of Roddy McDowell, which I thought it was very. It's a, it's an interesting uh, character because he's not really heroic at all. <laughs> he's, he no. wants to. I mean, at one point he wants to leave. He wants to skip town. Well, he, he just got fired. That's right. And and uh, also, I mean, I love the whole idea that he is a the host of a horror show. Yeah, sort of like Elvira and at night. Uh, uh, yeah, or whatever. Joe Bob Briggs, whatever. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. Uh, um, uh, uh, a, a horror, a midnight horror movie host. Whatever. And then yeah. he also starred in a series of vampire films in his day. But mm-hmm. now he's kind of just a washed up actor, right? And living in probably Studio City or Burbank or whatever. Something and like I, I, don't, I think maybe the real Roddy McDowell was kind of in that same position <laughs> oh, in no, his no, life. No, no, yeah. uh, look, I, I, you ever heard the story about Roddy McDowell getting busted for uh, film pirating? No. Well, or, see, I don't remember it. Uh, no, there's a story about like he was in, in the 1970s, probably like 1975. He was a avid movie collector. He collected film prints, mm-hmm. and this is, of course, this is before the home entertainment market. And so, the only way you could see an old movie was, you know, you had to go down to the art house cinemas and watch an old classic film if you want to see an old movie. Mm-hmm. And Ronnie McDowell, I guess, he started collecting film prints, and uh, oh, for, okay. I, think, I think I think first first off was he wanted to collect his performances, mm-hmm. and then then he wanted to collect other people's performances just to and you know so he could learn from, and then he became like a real kind of like I'm collecting multiple films, and he had like 500 films in his collection, a big big collection, and I guess there was a, like kind of a secret society or secret club in Hollywood that kind of traded and bought, you know, film prints with each other. Okay. And FBI and, you know, with, with the assistance of the motion pictures association or whatever, they wanted to make a mark. They wanted to say, Hey, this, this is, you know, we're stopping this black market, whatever this, film. is this all before VHS or is this after VHS? This is like the beginning of prior VHS. Because wow. I mean, VHS started what late seventies and early and then really took off in the eighties. Yeah, I mean, so this, I mean, I think the mar- I don't think it was invented. Yeah, it probably was in the works, but uh, they were clamping down on that kind of that black market film pirating or film collect, you know, like buying film prints from each other, collectors. Uh-huh. And so they FBI stormed his, you know, his estate and they collected up his his collection and and the, did they arrest him or just cited him? I think. I think he had to give up names. Oh, wow. Uh, so when he gave up the names, and I think he gave up some names of his friends. Oh, blacklisted them? I, I think, oh, I don't know if it was blacklisted him, but it definitely hurt his reputation. And I think that's why in the late 70s, early 80s, he was only doing television stuff. Mm. And I think, and I think that's, you know, that's, I think that's why he's so great in, in this role because he is kind of like an, an isolated character. He is someone who's not part of the Hollywood uh, elite. I think that's it shows it, it really shows in his performance and thank God he got this movie because this you know Friday Night there was a part two of Friday Night yeah so this movie kind of restore his, uh, his stardom right or well got him overboard <laughs> <laughs> you know it made him a he made him a, a you know a top film star again uh-huh. 
because at the time, I think he was just doing like Love Boat, <laughs> a lot of TV stuff like that. Yeah, but everybody was doing that. Uh, but you never come out of that. Well, I know he became a, uh, and during the, by the, by the 90s, he became a big um, voice actor, which is fine. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he remained busy. Let's talk about the special effects of the movie because I think that's a big part of the, why this movie is beloved by a lot of horror fans and well, just just fans in general. Well, I think the practical effects stand up. I mean, there wasn't there wasn't very um, uh, at least as far as I could tell any uh, uh, computer. Uh, no, there's no. no such thing. <laughs> Basically, back well, then. no, there, there were, but uh, not in this movie. I don't think they had the budget. That's but true. Uh, uh, the guy the guy who created the effects in this movie is his name is Richard Edlund. Oh, okay, Edlund? yeah. And, Edlin, yeah, yeah, Richard Edlin, and he he also uh, right before this movie he did the effects, and his team did the effects for Ghostbusters, and apparently, uh, because he had a lot of time to work on Ghostbusters, and he had to, you know, there was a lot of trial and error during mm-hmm. that time. Uh, when it came to do Fright Night, he was like, "I know what to do. I know how oh, to okay. do it. <laughs> I already worked out the kinks during Ghostbusters. Now I could do it. Whatever you want, I could do it for cheap, and we could get the gold." Yeah, and you know what? This this movie this movie does have like a Ivan Reitman feel to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. At least that third act really had a lot of creature effects. Mm-hmm. I love that third act with all the kind of the bat and the you know all that stuff. Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then there's a werewolf, and there's you know all that stuff. It's like really some really great uh, special effects, some practical special effects that. And they held up just like Ghostbusters. Yeah, what really doesn't hold up is Charlie Brewster. <laughs> yeah, let's, uh, let's well let's talk about Charlie Brewster, who uh, played by William Ragsdale. I mean Herman's Head himself. Yeah, a sitcom <laughs> from the '90s that he he starred in. But uh, yeah, let's really quick let's talk about this kid. Uh, I could actually. Let's talk about all the the teenagers in the movie. Ed and and Amanda Beers character. Who's Amanda Beers character? Amy. Amy. I I kind of wish they were a little bit better. <laughs> yeah, I wish they re- yeah. recast uh, Amy and and Ed. <laughs> well, Ed did okay, but he was a little annoying. But I think that was on purpose. So yeah, yeah. But it could have easily been you know some like you know Corey Feldman or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Raymond, what, what you thought of the main character, Charlie Bo- Brewster? I think he's the worst part of the movie. Unfortunately, uh, he's just—he, uh, I think he's—he might be the weakest actor in the more the movie and the most boring. Because yeah, all the other young actors aren't very strong in the movie, but he's specifically very dull. At least some of the other characters had something going for them. He was bland and uh, yeah, hmm. unfortunately the lead. Yeah, I I I, I agree because. I do when I when I was you know rewatching it. I go, oh well, yeah, the, the, but the theme is it doesn't feel like it's you know none of this movie feels like it's in the eighties. It feels like a throwback to the fifties. Even when I see the kids, I feel like they're living in a different time. They're living in like a Leave It to Beaver kind of scenario or a world or universe. You know, like they're living mm-hmm. in some kind of fifties fantasy world. Where it doesn't feel 80s, unless, you know, w- once we get to that club scene, <laughs> you get some of that 80s music. But yeah, but the kids were kind of annoying. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, they're they're passable. I mean, I, I, there's not, there's nothing wrong with this movie that bad. I mean, they're, this, they're, they're, they're fine. I mean, give them a pass. Yeah, they're all serviceable. All right, um, let's get to uh, best scene, worst scene. Rich, what is your best scene in the movie? Oh, best scene? Uh, probably uh, uh, Roddy McDowell uh, discovering that, well, getting spooked out because he discovers that the, uh, the Chris Randing is actually a vampire. And then and he, he finds it, out how. 
by looking himself at by looking in the mirror and he pick, picks up his pocket mirror and uh just looks um, through the reflection and he doesn't cast a reflection mm -hmm. i can't tell you how much i appreciate this mr vincent you've been a great help not at all glad to be of service <gasps> something wrong mr vincent uh, uh, no i felt a little uh, oh it, it's just my clumsiness are you sure Oh, I'm, I'm positive. Oh, we have been taking up much too much of your time. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, come along now, everybody. Uh, here you are. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yes, bye -bye. You saw something that convinced you he was a vampire. Of course not. Please, Mr. Vincent, you have to tell me. Our lives depend on that. All right. He didn't cast a reflection in my mirror. It, it just, you, you could see him spooked out and uh, trying to get out of, the, out of the door. Yeah, let's get the hell out of here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Raymond, what's your favorite scene in the movie? I like uh, when Roddy McDowell and uh, Evil Ed fight for the first time and then uh, Roddy McDowell's character gets the, um, the, the cross on um, Evil right. Ed's head and leaves the giant imprint on his skull. I thought, I thought that was, a, I thought that's my favorite scene. Yeah! <laughs> I used to admire you, you know that? Well, of course. That was before I found out what a fake you were. Peter Vincent, the great vampire killer of thieves. What's, what's the guy's name? What's the actor's name for uh, Evil Ed? Stephen uh, Joffrey's. Yeah, he has the great face for prosthetics. I don't mean that in a cruel <laughs> yeah. way. Yeah, but he really his face was so great for this for that for that particularly for that scene where he, that's where they really messed up on the remake. Who played him in the, in the remake? I never saw the remake. Oh, you didn't? Oh, it was uh, Christopher Mintz Plaz. Oh, mm -hmm. okay. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, my, well, my favorite scene is when uh, is when Peter Vincent, which is Ryder McDowell's character, Peter Vincent is uh, it's a werewolf transition scene. Oh, that's the, the, almost yeah, the same yeah. scene as Raymond. It's almost yeah, it's a, it's a very, kind of almost the next scene over. But when he, when he stabs the werewolf and we see the wolf kind of lying on the floor, it's just just. In pain, like screaming in pain, and then you see Peter's vein. Uh, and we see Peter. We see Roddy McDowell's performance in this scene where they cut to his reaction. And he, he's crying. Yeah. And I go, wow, that's a that's something I never saw before in a horror movie where people are actually crying for the monster because you know he's watching someone. He was watching a person die, basically. I never, I never saw that in a horror movie where actually someone actually has sympathy for a monster, and uh, I thought that was a great, that was a great scene. Yeah, it was really cool, and I love that scene. Now let's get to worst scene. Rich, what's your worst scene in this movie? I don't have a really worst scene. I, I think the movie stands by itself all throughout the, the film, but the worst scene that for me just, just like uh, you know. Feels outdated. Doesn't, yeah, outdated to me. It was is the uh, disco scene. Uh, I just think that uh, it doesn't hold up uh, 
well the music for sure <laughs> and, and, and uh, the the way he uh, entices um, Amanda Pierce's character to dance with him mm-hmm. I, I think that's uh, it was a little too much I didn't mind that part that much. For me, it's more when he starts fighting the the body bodyguard. Sure, <laughs> yeah, but or the 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 bouncers. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, Mine. you want chicken, man? You go someplace else. Out of my way. Move me. That was very corny, um, and also um, just a nitpick because I really like the movie. I, I think the ending's a little underwhelming. Mm. Okay. It's a little underwhelming compared to the rest. But uh overall I don't I don't really have a bad scene. Me, me either. I don't really have a bad scene. I forgot what I, I mentioned before. <laughs> no, but I don't I think I think the only problem I have with the, the some of the dialogue with the concerning the, the, the teenagers, I just I thought that it was a little too old school. Come on, even- after watching our second movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I wished I just wish that the kids were Maybe a little bit modern, but um, all right. So, uh, you want to grade this movie, or should we grade it? I guess we grade it. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, Rich, how would you uh, let's let's for fun, let's grade this movie. Um, like it's a new release. How would you grade this movie? Well, and I need to be at 7.1, and I'll, I'll stand to that. I think it is a seven, a seven, seven to 7.5. Yeah, so I'll give it a um. A C plus, uh, B minus, C plus B minus. On there, yeah, okay. Uh, Raymond, what's your what's your grade? What's uh, what number? You like to use numbers? What's, uh, what's no, I, I'll I'll go exactly where Rich is going, but uh, same score. But I thought he was going to go much higher. You mean like a B minus C plus around there? Yeah, yeah, but I just thought, I thought Richard was going to go in the A's. Oh no, I can't do that. I mean, it's still it's still an old movie. I mean, it's not Exorcist to me. I mean, you know, it's not. I, I get it, it. I get it. Yeah, but it's but it's thoroughly entertaining. Yeah, I mean, it's still fun. Okay. It's still fun yeah. to watch. I give it a B. I give it a, a solid. I think it's a solid B. Yeah, no, it's I, it's much better than Monster Squad. Yeah, 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 yeah. Which was kind of disappointment because <laughs> yeah. I, I really loved Monster Squad when I was young. And yeah, rewatching it was like, oh my god, uh, what was, was I thinking? Yeah. No, that was it. Was just it's just really dated. Yeah, yeah, it just didn't hold up. Yeah, yeah, really eighties also. Really stuck in that eighties stuff. Well, that's what that's what's cool about Fright Night. It's not really stuck in the eighties. It's it's just yeah. like a co- it's a cool monster movie. It's mm-hmm. a cool throwback monster movie. And again, it feels like it's it really feels like people loved monster movies made this movie. You know. Mm-hmm. All right, that was uh, Fright Night. Let's, uh, yeah, let's get into Maximum Overdrive now. My name is Stephen King. I've written several motion pictures, but I want to tell you about a movie called Maximum Overdrive, which is the first one I've directed. Wow. A lot of people have directed Stephen King novels and stories, and I finally decided if you want something done right, you ought to do it yourself. Who was driving it? I don't know. Curtis! It's coming after us! It was my first picture as a director. And you know something? I sort of enjoyed it. You want a war? You got one. I just want to get the hell out of here. So come and spend some time with me and my friends at the Dixie Boy. 
Spend some time in the dark. Please don't let this be in the dark. Help me. I'm going to scare the hell out of you. That's a promise. You're going to get us in an awful lot of trouble, man. We already in trouble. All right. Maximum Overdrive. This was originally released on July 25th, 1986. This was written and directed by horror meister Stephen King. This is his directorial debut. The only film he ever directed. Uh, the film is kind of set in the aftermath of this strange cosmic phenomenon. It seems like Earth has passed through the tail of a rogue comet which has caused machines to suddenly come to life. Um, the story centers on a group of survivors who find themselves under siege from a fleet of murderous self-driving trucks. While trapped at a truck stop gas station, these strangers must work together to survive the night. This is Maximum Overdrive. Rich, what's what's your thoughts on Maximum Overdrive? This is, for me, this was the first time I ever watched this movie. Yeah, same here. This is the first time you ever? Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah. yeah, what's your thoughts? Uh, I wish I saw it in the 80s or whatever, because this this is a piece of crap to me. <laughs> really? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, 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 get, I get how it has a, a cult status, but I can't. You know what it is? It, you know, Both of these films were in the drive-in recently, and... This is a masterpiece for a drive-in because who cares? <laughs> when you when you see a movie in a drive-in, you know when you go re-see it. I mean, this is this is a, a, a an exact who cares type of movie. You I mean, mean you saw, this movie was re- was released in one of the drive-ins? Yeah, recently in uh, um, I forget what it was called uh, Beyond Fest. Uh-huh. Yeah, the I think I think this was paired up with uh, Fury Road. Which is a slap in the face to me. <laughs> and uh, Fright Night was also playing, and I think that was playing. Oh, really? with, uh, oh uh, Lost Boys. Yeah, so um, that's a more better pairing. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I well, see, I personally picked Maximum Overdrive so we could watch, and uh, the reason why is it's something that I have always. You know, I knew the existence of this movie. I I I seen the cover. I seen the right. You know, the I passed VHS. by it a, a whole bunch of times. I was never curious to watch the movie, but you know, what's the what's the point of this podcast if we are not gonna you know watch movies that this this podcast forces us to watch movies that we would never seen. Yeah, that's I think that's the, I think that that's the point of the of this doing this, and uh, I wanted to pick this, and I think uh, Raymond, you. You suggested this uh, Maximum Overdrive. What's your thoughts of uh, of this movie? Yeah, so I also watched this for the first time. Um, I've been curious about the movie for a while, mostly because, like, why is the Green Goblin on a truck? Right. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, doesn't, right. doesn't make any sense. Um, and also, I had I had just uh, remember seeing growing up when I was younger, a, a lot of... Um, I, I don't I don't remember, I guess, videos and stuff on on, on, this, on this movie about how bad it was. Mm. And it was like it's just a notoriously bad movie. But I also knew that it had a, a cult following. This uh, I've been finding out about a cult followings had this past decade. So I was uh, curious about the movie, and um, I think the movie is complete garbage. <laughs> <laughs> it, to me, it's kind of like uh, it's supposed to be like Sp- Spielberg's duel in a way, or, or yeah. Well, to me, it's more like Smokey and the Bandit <laughs> mixed with. Um, like Smokey and the Bandit mixed with Superman Three, <laughs> <laughs> which 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 is a great movie, by the way. Superman yes, <laughs> Superman Three is the worst Superman movie ever made. Okay, we don't have to go go into it again. <laughs> 
We yeah, have to talk about this in every podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's go back to Stephen King's. This is Stephen King. This he, he's coming out of hit by hit by hit by hit. Yeah. I it mean, was it was Carrie, it was The Shining, it was Cujo, it was Dead Zone, it was Christine. Well, Christine is basically the same movie to me. I mean, I, I, at least I thought it was going to be. Right. Um, and there's there's Firestarter and Children of the Corn just right, right before these uh, this movie because this was 86. So this was during the height or at least the the end of that Stephen King mania and this well, you know, like like Raymond was saying, this had a notorious reputation. It it was bashed by critics. It was a box office bomb. And let's not uh, let's not forget it's a, a Daniel De Laurentiis film, and oh, they, yeah, they, just, right. they just wanted to, you know Stephen just, King's name threw, on it, right? Yeah, they just threw money at him and said, "Give me something." Yeah, so it's a, it's a, and it's also something that Stephen King himself is not particularly proud of. He has called the film quote moron movie <laughs> it's a moron movie he bl- he blames the failure on himself and of course he he also blames the failure on his own personal issues apparently stephen mm. king was addicted to cocaine at this time mm. you know uh he was quote unquote coked out <laughs> during the production of the film uh there was even rumors that king went into rehab during the filming mm-hmm. and that uh, george romero took over the directing duties for some of the scenes Although that, those that, are all rumors. That makes sense to me. I mean, he uh, that seems like his more his direction. If yeah, people have said that this feels like a you know at least the the style feels like a George Romero. Uh, it's true that George Romero was on the set of uh, during the portion of the the filming, and if Stephen King had any questions, Romero was there to answer them. But I mean, it's not it's not uncommon to have like a, a experienced director on a set. Uh, as a supervisor, mm-hmm. that, that's had that's happened before. So, um, but I, I, I again, I there is a you know <laughs> there is a reason why Stephen King has never directed a a movie bef- after this. Uh, so I suppose I was expecting something much worse. And uh, but I, I I had fun watching it. It's not a movie that uh, I would say is particularly. It's not a great film. It's no. not a particularly great film. But, it's, but it but, seemed like a, a, it seemed like a TV movie. I know because there was a lot of you know what's you know I think you just have to take it as it as it is as a dark horror comedy and and again I I thought it, I saw some elements of of his other stuff in it so there is a great idea there uh, I don't, I seen what look, I seen what worse idea? movies too. what what idea well the 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 cosmic. Uh, Oh, the the phenomenon. I like I like that. I also like the idea of the, of the machines uh, coming alive, and it, it really kind of reminded me of this kind of twisted version of of, of Transformers. <laughs> you know, like some kind of nightmarish world of the Transformers, and I think it it could have have worked. It's it's so odd that 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 the the story is not well written by someone who is known for writing great stories. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I did see like I did see some elements of the mist in this movie, which is well, it's m- a, the mist I loved. Yeah, you know? it's a group trapped in a single like. Yeah, there's certain there's story. certain like uh, Stephen King tropes in this, like mm-hmm. random strangers who who are caught in a scary situation mm-hmm. that is beyond their control, and you know suburbia is a nightmare. That's uh, that's the kind of a a Stephen King trope. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah, uh, the movie starts. So let me ask you, Mike, really quick, yeah. really quick, before you get into this, did you like any characters in this movie? No, <laughs> there's no, there was no. But I like the, I like the whole 
I like the fact that it was just weird. It's a weird movie. Okay, so you like that this was a movie made by a guy and a bunch of coke? Oh, I love that idea. I just love it. I love the fact that Stephen <laughs> King is coked out in his mind. He goes, yeah, yeah, man. Then, you know, Green Goblin on, well, let's just put a whole Green Goblin face on this. You know, I just love the idea that he's, this is, he's talking like this on the set. Let's, you man, give me that Mack truck, you know, yeah, and put a Green Goblin face on it. Let's do it, you know. No, it looks and great. And play ACDC, ACDC yeah. throughout ACD, the whole movie. And ACDC is great. They make, they're scoring it. Yeah. Yeah, they're, yeah it's, it's filled with ACDC music. And it's feel like I think I got high off the coke <laughs> watching this movie. I think I was a little high. You know, it's like it's 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 a, it's a stupid, silly movie. And it's you know, look, it's it's like I said, I've seen a lot worse films, particularly during this period during the eighties, because eighties was filled with god awful movies. And I don't think this is a complete disaster. I think just just a failed, <laughs> this is a failed kind of a horror movie. But I'm like like, like I'll say this: I'm glad I watched it. I'm glad I watched it, and I, after all these years of just kind of like knowing it existed in the world, knowing, ha- knowing that it has this strange reputation, and I'm glad I watched it. <laughs> and it's a short movie, right? I don't think it was a long movie. It felt long. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, well, let's talk about some of the cast. Let's talk about Emilio Estevez. Uh, he's <laughs> he plays a convict now working at a gas station. Uh, Bill. Yeah. He's a he's a diner, right? Was he? He's right. a cook. Diner chef, yeah. He's a diner chef. He's, he's a cook. A cook yeah. yeah. Hey, cookie. And he's told that he, he has to work uh, uh, an extra shift. Yeah, nine, yeah, yeah. <laughs> extra. Uh, yeah, he's to lose an hour, but yeah, yeah. You got uh, who's the the guy? Pat, huh? Pat Hingle. Yeah, Pat Hingle. Who's he's now is in everything, right? <laughs> he's he's constantly working now, but. No, he's yeah, dead. And, he's dead. Oh, he's dead. <laughs> oh, he's constantly dead. No, 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 is he dead really? Yeah, he was Commissioner Gordon. Right, he was a commissioner going. Is he dead, really? Yeah, in 2009. I, why I always see him? <laughs> I see him in my dreams, then. Must be no, something I, else. I think I'm coked out. No. I th- <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? Did he die in 2009? Yeah. Oh. I you sure? According uh, to IMDb. Then who's that other guy? <laughs> <laughs> who's the guy in, like, uh, um, Wolf of Rimley? I don't know. No, no, the guy in, um, uh, uh, the Cohen brothers, uh, Javier Bardem. How do we know the movie? Uh, yeah, uh, um, No Country for Old Men. But no, co- yeah, is he not in No Country for Old Men? So he was still alive. Let me see. Gene Jones. Yeah, Gene. Yeah, Gene Jones. Okay. See, I was confusing him with Gene Jones, <laughs> who looks exactly like Pat Hingle. Mm. Oh my God! You're you're right. I, see, I was confused. I thought he was because he's constantly working. I thought okay, I thought okay. Never mind then. Well, Gene Jones is perfectly alive right now. <laughs> he's constantly working. But Pat, Han- okay, so this is okay. Commissioner Gordon, Gordon from Batman. Okay, okay. Well, I thought it was Gene Jones, and I thought, man, that guy always looked old. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Where were you? No, let's continue. Well, let's continue with Emilio Estevez, his character. Okay. okay Did you yeah. hate, you really hated his character, Raymond? I think you were saying yeah, earlier. I, yeah, I, I surprisingly, I I only like one character in this movie. I, I'll save that for later. But um, <laughs> I, I'm amazed that you know the lead character in the film is like one of the most annoying in the entire movie. Hmm. 
I didn't find him that annoying at all. Um, well, miscast. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah, I give I give you that. I think a lot of people are miscast, but I don't think I don't I don't think it would have helped the film though. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, Rich, what, what's your thoughts on on, on Emilio Estevez in this movie? Uh, in this movie, because uh, we should we should mention he's a he's a ex con. He's trying to. Uh, he's working at this uh, yeah, truck stop. Yeah. And he, he, fa- he falls in love with a girl. <laughs> uh, yeah, he didn't do that. He didn't do that great of a job, but uh, I don't think he would have. He hurt the film as that much either. I mean, the, the, the film was lacking all around. You know, when the standout performance in this film is probably from the kid. And there's something yep. wrong with it, <laughs> or, or the or the Green Goblin, <laughs> or the Green Goblin, yeah, <laughs> like Green Goblin. I mean, first of all, I didn't realize it was actually the Green Goblin. Yeah, yeah. Um, I thought it was just because from my what I remember from the poster, I thought it was just this spooky, a ripoff, yeah, <laughs> or just a spooky face. And watching the movie, I go, oh my god, that's that's from that's Marvel, right? How the hell Marvel got involved in this? Uh, they were for and, sale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, in the uh, you know during the eighties, they were just desperate for any any kind of film, uh, like you know they would license their stuff in film for anybody, you know, especially Stephen oh, well, King. Oh, is, is Marvel in the credits of the movie? Yeah, yeah. Dan, he gets yeah. yeah. Wow, it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's actually the Green oh. Goblin. Yeah. <laughs> That's confirmed. Yeah. That's hilarious. Oh, I love um, that. <laughs> Yeah, it's a weird movie. It's it's a bizarre film, but I you know I kind of like those kind of bizarre, crazy, stupid movies. You know, it's all it's like so bad it's good type of thing. I'll say. Yeah. Well, I, I, under, I that's why I understand the uh, the, the 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 cult fandom the cult this. fandom for it. Yeah, and like I said, this is a great film for drive-ins, but don't go in, don't go watching it thinking it's a master. You know, it's a. Uh, yeah, go in thinking that Stephen King was coked out of his mind. <laughs> yeah, uh, but I, I when I when I first you know saw the box and all that and saw the trailers or whatever, um, uh, back in the day, I always thought it was gonna like a Christine like a horror type of film uh, or whatever, and I thought it was just gonna be Christine dual uh, type of you know a regular Stephen King horror thing. Yeah, a killer uh, a killer truck horror thriller thing. But this film is not scary at all. No, no, no. <laughs> it does have a lot of gore, though. Ah, uh, not really. I mean, I think, yeah, I think so. I think there's like, um, wasn't there some? Yeah, there's some bullets, decapita- wounds, decapitate, uh, decapitations and stuff. Now, uh, there's some people like <laughs> bodies are thrown into windows and stuff like that, and they're dead, there's a lot of dead bodies. Yeah, I guess you're right. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. Maybe there's not a lot of gore, but I don't know. It it, it, it does have violent moments. Yeah, sure. there's some there's some graphic moments, uh, but not not gory in the sense that we're seeing limbs getting chopped off or anything like that. Right. Uh, but so, you, Rich, you're telling me that all throughout the movie, you just you were like you were dreading it. You were, you, you wanted no, to stop. No, no, that's why I was saying uh, it's a, it's a good drive-in movie. It's it's a uh, it's. It's a good bad movie. <laughs> okay, it's a, okay. So it's uh, it's yeah, know what you're getting into. I mean, it's bad, but it's good. <laughs> I don't know. It's just you know, is, is it worth it? I don't think so. N- unless you're a big ACDC fan. I think the ACDC music worked for this yeah, movie. Yeah, definitely I think it worked. It worked really well. I, I, call me crazy, but uh, no, I, I was impressed by him. What didn't work though? What didn't work was using uh, "You Shook Me All Night Long" as the credit song. <laughs> yeah, 
Like, you know, like it's a happy ending or whatever. And then like that song just starts playing made it made no sense. Like they could have picked any song. That's a coked out decision. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, Remy, you did you regret watching this movie or I don't regret watching it. I, I, I regret buying it. <laughs> 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 It's, uh, I mean, we're going to talk about our best scene, worst scene. Yeah, we'll, st- we'll start with you, Raymond. Best scene, worst scene. Uh, which one you want to start with? I'll go best scene. Okay. Okay, I'll go with the scene with uh, with my favorite with my favorite character <laughs> that I, I, I hinted at earlier, and I, I guess you mentioned earlier as well. It's the it's the it's the little kid. It's the b- baseball boy, and it's the baseball scene yeah. when his father uh gets uh, murdered by a, a can of soda <laughs> <laughs> no that wasn't that wasn't his father his father was blinded in the uh, at that time in the in the, the gas station yeah no, uh, oh. yeah that was his coach or something that like was that. late jc quinn the great act yeah so uh, the what happened is, is that the coke machine goes crazy go, no and it starts spitting out coke cans and yeah. starts Didn't we see some? Didn't we see some kids die right there? Also, yeah. <laughs> well, they got clobbered. See, that, see, that's that's pretty crazy. Like, that's you, you don't see that in a, in uh, in horror films all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was cool. <laughs> you know, <laughs> that's a coked yeah. out decision. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's a cool character that I wish would have kind of expanded his 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 arc. You know, his character arc. King doesn't really do anything with that character. And uh, well, no. Yeah, what are you talking about? We he, we we he asks his uh, the coach. Hey, are you are you alive? <laughs> are you okay? And then and then and then later in the movie, he asks another dead body. Hey, oh. are you alive? <laughs> that's, the, that's the purpose of his uh, existence in this film. Is to, yep. He asks everybody if they're alive. I have another best scene, but I'll let you guys go do yours next. All right, Rich, what's your best scene in the movie? Uh, to pick a good scene on a, uh, it's probably the very beginning, the opening scene, uh, the very opening scene, <laughs> the bank uh, sign goes from uh the time the weather and to fuck you on it and then stephen king goes into and he uh re- starts reading the atm saying it was calling him an asshole and that's the best thing honey come on over here sugar buns this machine just called me an asshole and then of course acdc starts Yeah, so I like that scene a lot too. Um, but the one scene that I think really works as a horror movie was the kid, uh, 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 the baseball kid who, um, yeah. So he's right, in, he's like, uh, he's it was right after the the the, the coke machine incident. Yeah, and and he's riding home in the bike, and he's riding through his neighborhood, and every uh, house is a dead body. And there's a bunch of scenes like one person's dead because of the sprinkler system, one one person's dead because the lawnmower ate him up, and one scene is because of a, there's a woman in the in the top floor who is dead because of a, a hair dryer or something. So it's, <laughs> I thought that was all creepy.
Only one thing is completely certain this morning, and that is no machine is to be trusted. Unplug all the electrical appliances. If you have a truck or and him just riding along and then there's this ice cream truck that came out of nowhere and he gets scared and he takes off. I thought that all kind of worked and felt very Stephen King-esque. And, um, yeah, uh, there's no way there's no way he directed that scene. You think that was George <laughs> Romero? Uh, 100%. Possibly. Do you think um, uh, when they made Avengers Endgame, they were they were thinking of that scene? When, when <laughs> Ant-Man when Ant-Man's walking through... Um, Walk, walking back, you know, in, uh, in his in his little hometown, he's seen all the how yeah everything's abandoned, and, and then he sees a little kid on the bike. <laughs> Is it? I'm, you know what? Maybe there's something to it. I think the Russo brothers would like this movie. <laughs> this feels like something they would have grown up on. Uh, Rich, what's your uh, worst scene in the movie? Probably uh, when Emilio Estes goes to the bathroom. <laughs> now I love a good fart joke. <laughs> I love a good fart joke and when it's used right. Yeah. But that that was it, was, was it supposed to be funny? Uh, yeah, it's supposed yeah, to be funny. it's supposed to be hilarious. Oh, okay. it, it was hilarious, but uh, I just go oh, my he's god. So, so he's talking. He's, he's talking to a fellow uh, employee of the, <laughs> yeah. the, the, the truck stop <laughs> using the commode. Yeah, he's in the in the bathroom and he's a he's a, he's a large gentleman, <laughs> and he's like just he's he's taking a dump and it's, you, you hear a lot of the poop. Uh, sounds. Yeah, oh, but. the Foley artists and that must have been going, <laughs> oh, yeah, I know exactly what to do. Tell me, man, has he really got a lot of firepower down the cellar? Well, you heard him tell me to shut up, didn't you? Oh, come on, George, this is serious. He's got a lot. Grenades? Well, well what else? Flamethrowers? Rifles? What? You're going to get us in an awful lot of trouble, man. He said he didn't realize it, buddy. We already in trouble. Talk to me, Joey. Everything. He's got everything. Now go and leave me alone, Billy. That's definitely a coked up a decision. Because <laughs> to do it Work. once, I understand. But to do it like three or four times, oh, come <laughs> on. That's overkill. That's overkill. Uh, Raymond, what's, what's, your fa- what's your worst scene in the movie? Uh, for me, it has to be, uh, and there's a, I guess I, they do it twice in the movie. But um, worst scene is the waitress yelling at the trucks, <laughs> uh, we made you. <laughs> You sweet thing, me! No wonder you, baby, just They can't! We made them! You can! We made you! We're just in some loyalty, you pukey thing! We made you! That woman was very pissed off. I mean, remember she got cut from uh, from an electric know, cutter, electric knife. I know she, she should have lost her whole arm. I mean, I thought that's what they were setting up. Yeah, but um, I my my other one is also I agree with Rich. It's the the guy taking a shit. <laughs> my worst scene in the movie has it's any scene where there's a romance between the Emilia Estevez and the girl. Who's the girl? What's the actress name? Rich. Uh, Laura Harrington. Yeah, and uh, who? Look, I, I no fault of her own. I think she did a fine job for what she is given. Um, but yeah, th- there's no chemistry between those two <laughs> two no, people. No, I mean, no. it was it was laughable that romance because they in the movie they're supposed <laughs> to fall in love and they're supposed to become a couple, and it is really awkward watching those two <laughs> act together in a scene. Vroom, vroom. <laughs> Thank you.
You're cute. <laughs> yeah? Am I? Not that cute. Well, maybe I'll grow on you. Yeah, the M- the MVP couple was the other couple, the, the the married couple. The voice of Lisa Simpson? Yeah, Yardley Smith. Yeah. And John Short. Yeah. Yeah, they were very annoying. I think they were very annoying. Yeah, I, think they I, were, I hated them. The most annoying guy was the, the Bible salesman. They were all annoying. <laughs> yeah. Well, let, let, well, let's talk about the other great scene in the movie. What was really that? Quick. What was that? The other, great, the other great scene in the movie is when, uh, when everyone in the diner gets shot. Okay. <laughs> you want a war? You got one. Hey, man, I wouldn't do that. Shut up, love. Shit. I like that chicken chip. (laughs) And I don't know if you had the same feeling, but I felt that this was very Breaking Bad. (laughs) And not only because Giancarlo Esposito was in it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, for a half second. No, but there, the scene where the, the gas station gets shot up, and I thought, oh, did Vince Gilligan yeah. was influenced by this scene yeah. for Breaking Bad? I'm not sure, but I always I got a Breaking Bad uh, vibe. Yeah. Did you? Or this, yeah, movie, I did. this movie influenced everything. <laughs> I think yeah. so. Yeah. All right, let's grade it. Uh, Rich, Like, if this movie was a new release, how would you grade this? Uh, probably a D minus. Oh, wow. <laughs> Uh, uh, I'll, I'll really quick. I'll say it. I, I give this a C minus because I do like bizarre kind of weird movies, and this kind of you know I had fun with it. I, I was laughing. I was laughing with it. I had fun. Uh, Raymond, uh, your rating? I give it a four out of ten. Okay, yeah, it's pretty bad. <laughs> and you gonna sell your Blu-ray? <laughs> Probably, yeah. All right, so uh, Max, that was our discussion on Maximum Overdrive and Fright Night. Two uh, horror movies from the 80s. And uh, next episode, we're going to pick an, another films, horror films, to discuss. And uh, so there we go. That that was this episode. Richard, how can people hear Inside Flicks? If they want to hear other episodes, how could they get Inside Flicks? They can find us on Apple iTunes, uh, Google Podcasts, and also um, iHeartRadio, Spotify, and we are also now on Amazon podcast. Uh, they uh, emailed me saying we were got accepted. I don't know. <laughs> oh, cool. Uh, so we're in there. Just ask Amazon. All right. So uh, we'll be back really soon. Uh, thank you for listening to Inside Flicks. All right. Bye bye. Even Thunderstruck. <laughs>